0: This program is a proud member of Univaz.
1: Unified. Unique. Voices. Learn more at univazpods.net
0: Hello. My name's Patrick, and I'm a Scream Queen. I'm a Scream Queen, and so are you! Beautiful, beautiful screamers, and welcome to another episode of Scream Queens, the podcast where horror gets gay. This is episode 249, and tonight we are having a very special episode. Since we were able to meet the $2,500 goal for the Countdown to Halloween Marathon supporting new alternatives... Getting those homeless kids off the street, not just tonight, but for good. Because we met that goal before Halloween was over. Before the sun rose on All Souls Day. You are being rewarded. Because had we not met this goal, you would be paying for this episode right now. And that money would be going to New Alternatives. But we made it. So you're getting it for free. Everybody's getting it for free. But what's happening, Patrick? Well, calm down. Calm down. I'm going to tell you, I'm sitting down for a lovely informal chat with director Bart Mastronardi. You'll remember him. He was one of the co directors of Tales of Poe, which we talked about way back on the very first episode of the Countdown to Halloween Ponathon with guest Dandy Darkley. Remember that one? Yeah, he directed two of those segments, and he's got a whole bunch of stories to tell about what it's like. To be making movies, especially as an out gay director, what it's like working with all these legendary scream queens from all of your favorite 1980s movies and just, you know, just shooting the shit about how cool it is to be from Queens, New York. Say what? That's right. Queens boys will fuck you the fuck up. But before we do that, I do have a few things I want to talk about. First of all, I need to apologize because. You know how I broke that headset microphone that I've been using because a certain cat broke my grown-up microphone? Well, the grown-up microphone that I ordered to replace the new microphone was supposed to be delivered two days ago, and it's still not here. So I'm still using the broken, shitty headset mic. So I know the microphone is too close to my mouth, so you're picking up way too many mouth noises, and... There's probably a buzz and a hum, which I might be able to mix out, but probably, who knows, it's it's not sounding as good as I would like it to sound. But I'm sorry, that's just the way things have to be right now, because I have a cat. It all boils down to the cat, but isn't that always the case? Of course it is. The other thing I needed to tell you was that I lied to you last time. Yeah, remember how I told you that our final total... For the potathon donations was $2,787. I lied because, in all of the craziness that went on in the potathon and all the days during, before, and after, I forgot my own promise. I forgot to add in my donation. I promised that I was going to donate all of my proceeds that I was getting from my Patreon subscribers as well as all the money that I get from those of you who are listening on Radio Public. Completely forgot that. So once I added that total in, our total is now $3,123. Yeah! Yeah! Yeah, we did good. And for those of you who were paying attention in the final days of the potathon, I mean, after the shows were over, and those two weeks after, when I was, you know, trying to, you know, finalize everything and get, you know, you know, get as much as I could, you know, make sure everybody still knew that those those donation pages were still open, I made another deal with you. I said that if we hit $3,000 before the donation page is closed, I would release a second of these casual chats with the people behind the Podathon movies that I've been recording over the past few weeks. You would get the second one of those free as well. And since I forgot my own donation to the whole event, amazingly, I don't know how I managed to do that, but that's not the point right now, you're getting that one for free too. And it's either going to be with Alan Roe Kelly, the other co-director of Tales of Pope and star of many, 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 many independent horror movies, or the person without whom this podcast would have shriveled up and died after episode one, Miss Peach's Christ. Or should I say Joshua Grinnell, who directed All About Evil. And either way, it's a win-win-win. It's going to be great. So, yeah, I'm having a good time, actually. The people that I've been talking to, the people who made the movies from the Podathon, have been really responsive and really want to come on and have a little casual chat with me. So that's been very exciting. So who knows who else is going to be going by. This might be a regular segment because this has given me some balls. Normally, I'm really shy. When I'm talking to the movie makers, which is weird. like Sometimes I'll catch people like Roger Connors on their way up. But once you're established, I'm terrified of you. So the fact that I'm doing this, it's, it's a big win for me, okay? It's a big deal for me, okay? And I'm actually doubly excited that I'm doing a segment with Alan Rowe Kelly because I realized I recorded this segment with Bart in the final days of the Podathon. Remember that day I had off? Because I hurt my back and, and Thomas DJ came on and talked about Twitch of the death nerve or Bayer blood or whatever you want to call it, I had an appointment with Bart that day. But being that I was in pain and mentally, physically, spiritually, emotionally exhausted at that point, I didn't do the homework that I needed to do before the chat. And I forgot that Bart worked on this movie called The Bloodshed, which is an Absolutely ridiculous movie, which also stars Alan Ro Kelly, and I started to kick myself. And I said, oh, fuck, I can't believe I forgot to talk about this. I was editing the show last night, and I was oh, – the interview with him, and I'm just like, oh, fuck, you didn't talk about the bloodshed, you stupid idiot. But then I realized, oh, well, we've got Alan. We've got Alan, which means we've got Beef Tina. And if you haven't seen the movie, you have no idea what I'm talking about, but You will. But you will. Anyway, that's enough of that for now. What's been going on at Screen Queen's headquarters? Not a whole heck of a lot. I'm still very very burnt out. I've, my attention span is fried. I find it very difficult to sit down and watch a movie from start to finish because I feel like I need to be doing something else. Like editing. Even though there's nothing to edit anymore. I'm just still in that mind frame. Either that or I'm asleep in 10 minutes which is totally not me. But... I have managed to see a few things. I got through The Haunting of Hill House on Netflix, which for the most part I really 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 enjoyed. I wept like a baby for like 7 hours nonstop. It it, it I thought it was a fascinating essay on the horror of emotion and of grief and of having family, having people that you are just bound to by blood, whether you want to be or not, there's horror in that that I hadn't seen explored in this particular way before, and I thought it was fascinating and rich. And the fact that they took the story and not exactly threw it out, but made something new that was a love letter to both the book and the original movie was very, very impressive. And the fact that it shat the bed for me in the last 10 minutes is a whole other issue I'm not going to go into now because that's a whole episode in and of itself. And of course, I I, I think I've mentioned before I saw Halloween, the the new one, I thought it was perfectly fine. Suspiria. I went with Mr. Brad who has not seen the original Suspiria. So he kept elbowing me every ten minutes going, what's going on? What does this mean? I'm going, I don't know, Bradford. I haven't the foggiest fucking idea because this is a whole new movie. I didn't love it. And I realize now it's because – you know me. I avoid the publicity rush that comes before openings now where – movie openings now where you just have so much information coming at you that by the time the movie comes out, you feel like you've seen it already. I want to go in cold, and I think for Suspiria, the new one, that was a mistake because, for instance, they spent so much time on the Bader meinhof terrorist group and their actions in 1978 without explaining exactly what they were. I knew it was important, but being a dumb American, I know nothing about it. Nor do I know anything about Bader Meinhof phenomenon and how that played into the story. Now that I've done my homework a bit, I would like to go back and see the movie again. But my God, is it long. My God, Is it long? And while as brilliant as Tilda Swinton is in the three roles that she plays, Dakota, what's her ass, cannot act. She's terrible. I mean, she's fine, but when you put her up in a scene with somebody like Tilda Swinton, you're going, oh my God, you are so, so lost right now. Does it hurt the movie? No, not particularly. But it, there was just something off about it for me with her performance. But you know what? That's neither here nor there. And the other thing I saw was Overlord, which I did not care for. It was too action-y horror for me with not enough horror. Like I was never scared. It just, I don't know. It never really – I know a lot of people had fun with it, and that's great. Good for you. It was not my cup of tea. But hey, so much good horror coming out right now. Just, It's nice to see horror in the movies at Halloween besides Saw. It's just nice. Since we're going to be spending so much time talking about Tales of Poe with Bart and whenever Alan Rochelle's episode airs, I'm planning on doing the screening. This weekend is the New York City Horror Movie Film Festival, so I'm going to be tied up with that this weekend, but possibly the following weekend I'll be doing that. Keep an eye on the Twitter feed, Instagram feed, Facebook feed. I'll have that information in at least a week in advance. And... Of course, with Bart and Alan's permission, we will do a screening of that just so that you know what we're talking about because I don't think it's streaming anywhere anymore. But okay, I'm rambling now. So why don't, Patrick, you shut the fuck up already and bring on Bart Masternardi? Oh my gosh, you guys are so pushy. But be sure to stick around after the interview with Bart, because there is a major announcement about something that's going to be going on over on the Patreon feed that I think a lot of you are going to be super-duper interested in, but you're going to have to stay tuned. Ooh, mystery. You know what? It's the holidays. I'll let it slide. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, I am thrilled to bring to you the interview with Bart Mastridardi, recorded just before Halloween. So I am thrilled to have joining me on this very special episode of Scream Queens, a fabulous out gay director whose work you've already been introduced to. Yeah, he's one of the guys who helped write and direct the very first episode, uh, the movie rather, that was on the first episode of the Potathon, and I'm talking about Tales of Poe, and that guy I'm talking about is director Bart Mastronardi.
1: How are you doing, Bart? <laughs> Thank you.
0: How are you? Uh, well, we already had this conversation. Oh my gosh, everything below the waist is kaput. But hey, how's California?
1: <laughs> it's uh, 75 and sunny, and I'm on top of the mountains right now, so it's actually beautiful right now.
0: Yeah, so Bart directed two of the three segments in Tales of Poe. So if you want to refresh their memories, Bart.
1: Yeah, yeah, sure. Uh, I directed uh, The Telltale Heart with uh, – that's the one with Debbie Rochon. And then I directed Dreams, and that's the one with uh, Adrian King, uh, Amy Steele, Caroline Williams, and that one. Joe
0: Zazzo is going to be really mad you left him out.
1: Oh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Joe Dazzo and Joe Dazzo, who actually, I love his part because I wrote that um, uh, when we wrote it, Michael Varati wrote the script and um, I wanted to get Joe in there and uh, we got this really creepy scene with him as like the grave kind of keeper, which I actually, uh, when we were writing it, it was kind of based off of uh, Shakespeare's Hamlet, the grave keeper, uh, which is okay. one of those really kind of creepy kind of moments. And Joe really does it great because Joe's so visually present when the camera's on him, so oh, yeah. it's always great to uh, to work with him
0: yeah yes, yes that is very true um i just, since you were, were kind of on dreams at the moment dreams was the third segment in the film the one uh the, it was dandy Darkley's favorite that was my guest for the episodes his favorite of the three it's the one that was mostly yeah. silent but with amy steele's voiceover reading the edgar Allan poe dreams and it was very yes. surreal extremely surreal like they didn't even you didn't even attempt to explain anything was going on. It's completely left up to you. And yeah, I, know. I told you mm-hmm. at the New York City Horror Film Festival, when I saw it, I said, Bart, that was really ballsy. And I loved <laughs> that. I, I mean, I love when directors take a brave choice that to, put, to end your movie with this very long sequence with almost no dialogue. And it's, it's a downer. I mean, it's mm. different from the other two segments, and and not saying that in a bad way.
1: It's sad. No, I, I understand. I totally understand. Dreams is a very, um, you know, when Michael and I sat down to discuss what we wanted in there, um, you know, Derek Jarman came up a lot and very surreal you know, pieces and discussion and uh, David Lynchian. Yeah, I mean, it's influenced by so many different things, dreams. And he wrote this beautiful script. And the one note that I had was like, let's just keep Amy's narration in there and everything else would be a visual kind of story. And I'm I'm mostly drawn to silent movies. I'm not really drawn to very talkative movies. Okay. And wh- when we did dreams, it was really such an opportunity to create almost an Alice in Wonderland, Wizard of Ozian and kind of film based on a poem by Edgar Allen Poe that does not even have anything in there, uh, that, oh. you know, would be synonymous to the visuals. So it was all created through Michael's script. And then whatever, you know, we did, uh, on set with our actors and production and stuff. And then Alan came in and, you know, it's just, it was just uh, so much beauty in that piece right there. Everybody loved Dream so much. I mean, this is, it's the one that's really the least, I think, um, I think I think it's the one that's the least kind of expected in that anthology. Well, exactly. And also, you've set
0: the tone with the other two. And granted, the other two segments, Telltale Heart and Casca that Alan Rowe Kelly directed, who might be joining us soon. He's all slitting a throat somewhere. FYI, everybody.
1: But <laughs> as you do on a Sunday. <laughs> yeah, yeah. When Alan is not working, he is usually slitting throats. <laughs>
0: Got to pay the bill somehow, right? Um, yeah, Yeah uh what was i saying uh, well the, the the telltale heart had it, it, it had that wonderful ghoulish quality to it it was dark it mm-hmm. was mean and you, you took the tail yeah. and then added to it and spun it and that was cool and then cask did similar things updated it added to it switched everything around and then added this really kind of wonderful old school zombie element that's not in there at all which was just tons of fun because let's face it we know these stories
1: oh yes we do i i think everybody you know between telltale art and casco from they have been filmed numerous times whether in the short format or within a feature uh, feature film where they've elongated them into like a two-hour film yeah and the whole idea that we wanted was well let's retell them but let's how can we tell it cinematically how can we tell them maybe different than, maybe not new, because I don't think we could do new again, but we could definitely do it different than the way everybody else was doing it. And Alan, with the Cask of Amontillado, I had given it to him, and I said, hey, you know, either do Mask of the Red Death or do Cask of Amontillado. And he had a script very similar to Cask of Amontillado that him and Randy Jones wanted to do together. Mm -hmm. And when he read the short story for Cask of Amontillado, he's like, oh my God, I got the perfect vehicle that could kind of do this and he rewrote a script for it and that's how we got Casco Amontillado the way that we have it
0: nice nice one of the things I just realized which I think is cool that you could use pretty much the same setting and the same cast for up Mask of Amontillado and Red Death just because I described it on the podcast I'm like this setting and this wedding is filled with this cast of eccentric characters <laughs> That are all just huge cunts that secretly cannot stand each other. And that's my kind of party. And that works for either of us. <laughs> And that's a compliment. It is a compliment. I'm like, these people are awful. I love them.
1: <laughs> yeah, they're, they, oh my God, they're all bitchy. And they're all moaning and groaning about, you know, um, Alan, Mary, and Randy's character. And then they all kiss and everything is supposed to be really cool.
0: Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah, because we all, we all know those people. Oh, yes, we do. They're not fun to (laughs) hang out with in
1: real life, but they're fun in the movies. They're fun in the movies because they're characters, and it's just like, God, you know, and there's some days, it's like watching Dynasty with uh, Joan Collins and Linda Evans. It's like, (laughs) you would love to just beat the crap out of somebody the way that those two go at it or Uh have those delicious lines that they deliver, but we know in real life that would be, one, laughable, and two, like, Somebody's getting clocked in the face. Well, right. Yeah, well, like you definitely,
0: I mean, you dream of slapping somebody like one of those dramatic soap opera slaps, but then you wind up in jail. That's not fun.
1: No, no, that's the reality of it. But you know what? That's why we pick movies. I heard that jail is not
0: like it is in porn.
1: No, no. Right. it's. I, I mean, I haven't been there. I haven't been to jail, but I'm sure that it's not.
0: Let's not find out.
1: No, I don't want to find out. I don't. I will keep
0: the fantasies though. Thank, thank you. Thank you. One of the things that keeps coming up uh from the people who heard the episode, how on earth were you able to wrangle so many you know classic like 80s scream queen superstars for one movie. You get people who never do movies anymore. to do this movie. <laughs> uh, so exciting. And to do it and do parts that they wouldn't normally do.
1: You know, that was, uh, man, it was a process. I will say this. Um, I'll give you the serious story. I mean, I could joke about it, but I'll give you the serious story. Um, My first film is Vindication, and I got very lucky that Clive Barker put his name attached to it. And Alan's been in the independent film community for quite some time. And both of us, we wound up having great respect for the work that we had. And when you get that sense of respect and... um, hire people in the industry kind of say, Hey, yeah, look at these people. They're actually doing really quality work, not just quantity of work. You know, that allows people to start looking at you. And when Vindication had come out, that was created a big buzz. I mean, it's not the most successful film in the world, but it, it definitely was an underground. It's definitely an underground horror film that, you know, I got lucky with and it took like four years to make. And what happened was You start going to these horror conventions, not as a fan, but as a filmmaker who wants to do business with people, and you hand out your film and stuff like that. And I already knew Amy Steele I wanted to work with, and I had given her the film Vindication, and Caroline I had known uh, for quite some time, and she had seen Vindication, and then she knew Alan's work. And make a very long story short, they just liked the quality of work that was being given, that they were seeing, and they wanted to work with that those people that were delivering that quality, because as actors, they too want quality of work. I mean, how many, how many more times can we watch, you know, young, newbly young girls running around pretty much topless running, uh-huh. you know, screaming from a serial killer? And it's fun. But as an actor, you do want, you, you want a little bit more sometimes to, to give and show to people. Exactly. And I kind of feel like that's what they, I kind of feel like that's what they felt. I'm a big Friday the 13th fan. Like, I love Halloween and Elm Street, but there's nothing more than, you know, that that like whets my appetite like the Friday the 13th series. I'm right there with so, you, babe. Did I just Oh, call man. You, man? Like, I totally called you, babe. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, it's okay. It's okay, hon. It's okay, hon. <laughs> uh, but, you know, so to have Amy Steele and Adrian come on board, and I remember Michael Verratti and I, we were sitting at lunch with them, and I, we showed them the cut to Telltale Heart, and that's when they said, yeah, sign us up. And Amy had said, look, I haven't been on screen in like 25 years. Please, I just want a really great part. And, you know, Michael went off and wrote that beautiful part for her as the mother. And Adrian was on board once, you know, uh, once um, Debbie Roshan steps on Alan's eyeball in The Telltale Heart. And she's like, sign me up I'm yes! on Yes, <laughs> yes. See, so- folks- I got the story right.
0: That was the story I told on the show, and I was like, "I hope I'm getting this right," because I heard this a long time ago, and I had a lot of Manhattan's that night. But thank you, thank you. I love that story.
1: Oh, it was. That was it. That was the story. And um, you know what? It and. You know, and it's nerve-wracking because as a filmmaker, you're still a fanboy with them. And I remember Amy looked at me at one point, and um, we were doing her voiceover. So this was before the the visual performance. Mm -hmm. And we were just doing the voiceover, and we were screening the Telltale Heart the next night at the American Museum of the Moving Image in Queens. And she looked at me, and she goes, okay, what do you want me to do? And I was like, oh, my God, I have to direct her. (laughs) Yeah. You know, and, and then you're like, OK, you know, put your directing pants on, Bart, and let's go. And that's basically how they kind of came together. So I'm going to imagine that what drew them was the quality of work because let's face it, there's like no budget to pay them. They got basic literally if they took SAG minimum wage, which I think was like 100 bucks at the time. Um, wow! We loved working with Adrian so much that we flew her back out the next year, and we filmed additional scenes. That's why she plays the nurse in the beginning of Dreams, and then comes in as the Queen of Dreams because we mm-hmm. kind of connected the reality to the dream.
0: Uh huh. And I love then it. you get that uh, little visual clue that connects them to it. I'm not spoiling it. <laughs>
1: No, no, but it's all there. I mean, everything is very methodical and thought out when you watch Dreams. Um, You know, it was planned. Everything was planned. It was a lot of hard work. Dreams, I'll say, was so much work.
0: My guest for the episode was he's a performance artist called Dandy Darkly, who was fabulous. He he tells these wonderful stories of sex and death. I don't know if you heard of him, but he did not believe me and I told him. What you told me about where so many scenes in dreams were filmed, i.e., <laughs> the cafeteria of the high school that you taught in at the time. Oh my He's God, like, yes. You're making that up. Those sets were lush. I'm like, they were, or they were made to look so. <laughs> but if you, because I, I kept watching the movie and I think that you, there's some of that in Telltale Heart as well, I think, right? As well? Some of the scenes in the cafeteria? Yeah, I mean, yeah. Like the asylum the oh, I mean, yeah. cafeteria. You wouldn't know. You would never ever know, and I love that. And you, because I remember you that uh-huh. night, you say, I don't know, I don't know if it comes across. And I said, You could have knocked me over with a feather right now, Bart.
1: <laughs> you know what? The, the joys of making independent film where you have no money is the fact that you have no money, so you have to be as creative. As, as creative as possible. And you put Alan and I in a room in, in the dollar store together and you're going to just start doing everything you can possibly do to make it look that way. You know, I'm also a film professor and I tell my students all the time, a room is just four walls. What do you want it to be? And you're just going to have to create that to be those four walls to create the reality of the scene. And, you know, I remember reading when I was, uh, when I was starting out, I read Robert Rodriguez's, um, the diary of making El Mariachi rebel without a crew. And he said, use what you have and make it work. And I said, okay. Um, The high school that I taught at was really great. And they said, yeah, sure. Use the cafeteria. And then classrooms became, (laughs) became dungeons and uh, they became sets and stuff like that. And I was very blessed with, you know, having the amount of people that supported us while making that film. And that's why the film came off the way that it came off.
0: I also really loved the choice to flip the genders in telltale heart mm,
1: yeah that was very effective yes, that thank you thank you i remember uh so i was working with debbie roshan in allen's film and uh debbie's a great actress and mm-hmm. i remember saying god i'd love to work with her and you know we became really good friends in the process and i remember Uh, One of my teachers was out, and I had a substitute for him. And uh, I had no idea what they were doing. And I walked in, and they were reading The Telltale Heart. And I remember the light bulb went off. And after the (laughs) class was over, I typed her. And I said, I got the project for us. And she goes, what is it? And I said, it's The Telltale Heart. So isn't that for a man? And I was like, not anymore. Not anymore. Yeah. And I remember seeing the Telltale Heart. I did, I went and I watched other versions and they're all the same, some stupid person looking at the camera, talking. It's like, it's not cinematic. And I remember reading a, you know, Marty Scorsese interview and John Cassavetes and they're always like, you've got to make your adaptations cinematic you know, you're making a movie, how does the camera play? How does it work? And that was how Telltale Heart came about. And then, you know, putting my own spin on it, I kept his story. I just built on the skeleton that he gave us. And I rather than a sick old man, I made it a sick age silent film star and I wrote it for Alan and I wrote it for um Debbie. And then I got Desiree Gould from Sleepaway Camp who's mm-hmm. just a deer. And then Leslie Donaldson who played uh in uh Dreams and in Telltale, Telltale as uh evelyn dick in there oh Evelyn! So it was really her last name was dick it was evelyn dick d-i-c-k-e i believe it was i asked that's, her, I said, fitting. You know,
0: that's fitting for that character in that potty mouth
1: <laughs> <I just laughs> was, like, <lived> <laughs> oh my bed. gosh you got a filthy mouth in there i remember when i wrote the line i don't i kind of feel like i don't write the lines the characters do that for me i'm just I listening totally to them in yeah. my head yep and i said i remember her i remember the character evelyn saying um Tell me what your story is. I'll rip out your cunt like, like I did all my other husband's sluts. Yeah. And I wrote that. I, I got so excited. I texted over to Leslie, and she was really active. She, she loved it. And she just did a phenomenal job with that. And she's gotten, I think she was nominated like three times for Best Supporting Actress for that part. Good
0: for her. Good for her. I love her. I've met her a couple of times as well, and she is a sweetheart. Oh, she's a
1: she's a fantastic. She brings it. Let me tell you, when she's on set, she brings it.
0: Can't complain about that, no, Siry Bob. Since we're talking about people lighting up the room or the screen, and since I just saw her a couple of weeks ago, I need to talk yes. about Adrian King a bit.
1: Ah, uh, my queen. Yes, I,
0: I, because I got to go to the Camp Crystal Lake tour that they do.
1: Oh, you did. Oh, I wanted to do that. Well, so you had told
0: I. We had talked really briefly on Twitter, and you had said, "Make sure to tell her." Uh, to give my queen all of her love, and I walked up <laughs> to her table and I was like, "Hi, Adrian, What a pleasure to meet you. I'm Patrick Walsh." Bart Messernati told me to tell <laughs> you <laughs> to give. Uh, he told me to give his queen all of her and her, and she lights up a room anyway. She's got so much energy, and it's not fake. It's not fake. That no, light got not. so
1: much brighter. <laughs> Uh, she let me tell you she is one of my she she has become one of my dearest friends in life. because uh, she's also an artist and she's a painter and we both kinda get it and uh but she's just quite supportive and we'll just call each other up and you know, and just bullshit. It has nothing to do with, you know, what's your next you know, most of these people that just like, Oh, what's your next project? Can I be in it? Never hustle, does hustle, 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 hustle. hustle. Yeah. Yeah, it's just two friends
0: get together and we talk. I, I speaking of hustle, I did have a question about her. That I meant to ask her that day, but of course, you know, you you get starstruck and all of a sudden you're just drooling out of the side of your mouth instead of actually speaking, that sort of thing. (laughs) But I noted in Dreams that she is so commanding, like she's telling her story so well without saying a word. I mean, when her eyes open behind, you know, when she's in her little glass coffin thing. Yeah. I actually stood up and went, oh shit. <laughs> I'm like, I don't, uh, know, she's not, but I don't <laughs> like her. But she, she's such a. Weird. Does she have, I mean, I know she was in Saturday Night Fever, but does she have mm-hmm. a train dance training?
1: Yeah, I believe uh, Adrian was a dancer. I believe she started in ballet when she was ah. uh, getting started in the industry. Uh, so she's definitely got dance behind her. And that totally reads in that segment. I'm like, she knows how to tell a story with her body she let me tell you she and the one thing that I said to Adrian I I said this to all the actors is I don't want to see what you're known for which is your your roles that everybody associates you with I don't want to see Alice Hardy I don't want to see Ginny Fields I don't want to see Stretch I don't want to see all the roles that you've created with you know Aunt Martha and stuff like that I come from a theater directing background and it's Mm -hmm. great that I'm working with these actors and actresses and it's those roles that have drawn me to them but those are the things that I want from an actor is I don't want to see those characters. I want audiences to see that you are an actor and that you can bring it. And yeah. we would spend, Adrian and I would spend emails and hours talking about her character. And she, and I love that as a director, when the actors really discuss their roles with me and meaningful, not just to discuss for bullshit reasons, but meaningful purposes. Mm-hmm. And she, she really got it. She knew that it was all about the silent visual image and that we were telling a story. And she, like you said, and you picked right up on it, is that everything is expressive through that face, through her eyes. And she, that's an actress, and that's what you want. And she delivered. She really delivered that.
0: Well, and also, I know that the girl who was the dreamer in that sequence, I know was a dancer. I had a long conversation with her at the, at the, at the, after the film festival. And the two of them together are magic.
1: They got along so well that when they were when they were doing the fight scenes, they were always very conscious of each other. Are you okay? Oh, I'm okay. It's okay. All right, good. And there was like action, and then it's like slap, pull the hair, you know, stuff like that. They were really good with each other. Well,
0: you want that in a fight partner, to be perfectly honest. You have to be really aware of your other partner and have they're okay. Otherwise, don't. I don't want to work with you. <laughs> I've worked with those people. <laughs> you don't give a shit. And somebody's going to wind up hurt. And so that's nice. I love. I love that whole. story. I love that whole story that. I had to say, Bart, watching it this time for the podcast, in the interim between me seeing it at the film festival and now, my sister passed away of cancer. It was quick, and oh, brutal. I'm very and sorry I that. didn't know people could die like that. That dream yeah. segment meant so much more to me. Like, I saw so much oh, more. Thank in you. It. And so many levels and so many. Wonder. It's. it's magic and it was a, ha- a happy thing but it was also it ripped my heart out and stomped it on the floor and i don't expect that in a horror movie and i loved that you had the balls
1: to do it i you know and i'm you know and, and my and my condolences about your the passing of your sister with cancer thank you um my okay. dad my dad had brain cancer and he too passed um and you know it's very uh the thing that I find with horror films, and you know, a lot of people like it for camping purposes, but you know what? I'm more drawn to the emotional side of it, where there is this empathy and the sympathy with, with the Frankenstein monster and mm-hmm. characters, and I'm very drawn to the the horror that can't that that what is cancer? That's horrifying, yeah. you know, because you have there's there's nothing else you can do except you could try and fight it as much as you can, but at the end result, this is it. You're losing everything. Yeah, and, and you don't want to leave. Yeah. Sorry, go,
0: you go. You're the guest. You always have the right of way.
1: No, no, you don't want to leave. And that's heartbreaking. And that's that's the horror of it for me. And, yeah. you know, and and so to emotionally kind of tell those stories, um, I enjoyed that. I enjoyed the, the emotion. And that is taking a risk. You're absolutely right. Because most horror fans don't want that ending they don't want to end off on a i was told we should have put dreams first and i was just like no i you know like telltale heart would probably have been or a cask of the best way to end it on a high note where there's a big punch at the end of it uh-huh. but dreams kind of i want i wanted the audience to kind of walk out thinking what they just saw and it is it, he died and it's sad and there's this conclusive ending to it i don't know if, whether we made the right choice or not to end it on dreams but i know I loved it, um, and it is heartbreaking, and I remember watching Amy and Bette do the performance. Um, there was a moment where Amy just got very teary-eyed, and it was, it, was, it was quite emotional because she's putting herself there. It could be a sister. It could be a father. It could be whoever it is, and it is sad. It's very sad, and, and Edgar Allan Poe didn't live a, a really high lifestyle. He was a very poor man, and he didn't live a very creative life. No, he died. What was it? Five years. Five years after his death, did people start discovering his work? Yep. And the other thing he's known for. I mean, people
0: always associate him with horror, but the other thing he did really well was melancholy.
1: Yes, he did. Yes, he did. And the ending to to dreams is really um, Annabelle, when uh, as Annabelle Lee, which is yeah. often the distance of the the ocean and the tides, and you know, it's all there. And yeah, you, you know, it's uh I'm, I, like I said, I've always been drawn to the emotional side of horror and I've been drawn less to the campy side of it. Although, you know, your, camp is fun at times, but you want to have some substance there. You want to be able to kind of say, hey, I could relate to that in some way.
0: Nope, I love all that. I love, I love everything you're saying. I say this on the show all the time. I'm like, give me characters I care about.
1: Yes. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, when, somebody, absolutely. when somebody dies,
0: I want to feel something besides relief that I don't have to see them anymore. That's easy. Yeah. Yeah, you can't, it's really it is. easy to write a whole cast full of absolutely horrible, horrible people that you can't wait to die. But I don't want that in a horror movie. I want to get attached to you. I don't always want to be on the side of Jason, which I'm usually not. I mean, no, I don't. I'm always rooting for the victim. I, I am always rooting for Brenda
1: in the original Friday the 13th. Yeah. And she never makes it. <laughs> and she doesn't. No, and you know what? Even, even in Carrie, like when Carrie goes to the prom, okay. you're like, don't go to the okay. prom. Please don't. And you want that. You want it simply. You want a, You want them to not do it, but you know they have to do it because if not, then it's not a horror movie anymore.
0: Bart, every single time I watch Carrie, when we're getting to the slow motion bit, I'm going, maybe it won't yes. happen this time. Maybe it yes. won't happen this yes. time
1: because if it doesn't happen, yes. it's a Cinderella story. Yes, then, it, yes. And then we realize, wait, we're in a Stephen King novel. It has to happen.
0: like, Because like, the way that movie is constructed, I, I love the way that movie flows because it's almost like this kind of what is the word I'm looking for? The inevitability of fate. Like er, everything is happening because it has to happen. Like there's no getting yes, out of it. it what's
1: great about Brian De Palma's version, I'm sorry, you can interrupt. No, you go, you go. You always have the right of way, Bart. But, but what's great about Brian De Palma's version, and this is why the other carries do not work on any level, is his is an opera, and Thank that, you. you don't get any, you don't get any grander than opera. <laughs>
0: Thank you. That is how I always describe it. I said the emotion levels, of this are so, up. They're almost operatic. Like it's everything is so black and white, and the everything is life and death all the time. Like it's just the fucking prom. Everybody, calm down. But no, it's not just the prom. It's opera prom. It's big, when it's I heard big, that, you know, when I heard that they mm-hmm. were making a musical of it, you know, long before it ever came out, I got excited because in my mind I went, "This will make a brilliant rock opera." Yes, yes. and they didn't if do that
1: done correctly.
0: Yeah, and no, they, because it,
1: they it, don't, they don't know how to do it. They don't because they don't understand the material that they have in front of them, and you need a very strong director like De Palma to pull that off. Mm-hmm. And anything since any remake that comes after it can't top that. You cannot top opera. I don't care how big, like whatever you do. It's just that big. Yeah. It's a motion picture. It's not even a movie. Oh, yes.
0: I say that all the time. I have films and movies. <laughs> motion picture is also a good way yeah. to put it. So this movie is a film. This other movie is a movie. Yeah.
1: <laughs>
0: Which, if I can go back to dreams for just a minute. just yeah, boy, I love the way you ended it, the way you ended it, because I talked about that movie and thought about it. Forever afterwards. It was all I could talk about that night. Those other two segments are great on their own. But the way just the fact that you gave me so many unanswered questions and let me (laughs) draw my own conclusions about what was going on is so exciting to me. Yeah, I, I was very happy. And even just watching it this last time, I said, oh, oh, I'm seeing this in a totally different way. I'm kind of seeing, oh, it's like different worlds. And it kind of has its own like, like leader and she has a test to pass. Whether that's right or wrong doesn't matter. I don't want to know what's in your script. <laughs> Never tell me what's in your script because I will always want to figure it out on my own. So how do you know Sean Abley? Um, so Sean, uh, he
1: is um – From Fangoria. He had Gay of the Dead, uh, the the Gay of the Dead articles from Mm. Fangoria magazine, uh, the online articles. And I believe Sean and Alan knew each other, which then introduced me to Sean. And Sean was wanting to do an interview with me. This was before I was out of the closet. And I said I'll do you the interview, and that'll be when I come out publicly, you know, as a filmmaker. And he said, "Great," but I kept I kept pushing the interview off because I was terrified. And finally, and finally, because it was a very different, you know, we're going back maybe 15 years, not even 15 years, maybe about like eight years ago. Was a different. It was a little bit different. So you were 13, and- yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, I was thirteen years old at that point. <laughs> come out, making movies. And, like I mean, I, I was out to people, but I wasn't like you know I. I, I was out like, and then there's out. Out. Yeah. There's out and then there's out, and when you're not used to talking about it in a very public forum, it becomes kind of oh my god, everybody's going to read this. Yeah. Anyway, Sean Sean had uh, Sean was great about it, and he kind of yelled at me, <laughs> and I was like, "You're right, I, I'm going to do this," and I did, and that's how Sean and I knew each other. So I did the Gay of the Dead article for him, and uh, he interviewed me, and it was really great. And then it was in the book, and you know, he's out here in LA. I get to see him once in a while, and so through just mutual friends and colleagues.
0: Well, next time you see him, you tell him <laughs> the same thing. <laughs> you like call even, him your you tell, queen? <laughs> yes, yes, you do that to me. Because I'll tell you, i talked about this in the show, and I've talked about it on the show with Sean, so it's totally okay. I met Sean Abley circa 1995 in an AOL Bears chat room. <laughs> And this was one of the things I wanted to talk to you about as well. Like I've discovered doing this show. Well, initially, when I was started doing the show, I was not connected to a gay community that liked horror at all. I was the only one that I knew for most of my life. You know, people kind of okay. sort of liked it, or but it was never. You know what I mean? The way we no, the I, I way totally we like yeah. it. Yeah, that can talk about it and find the you know the amazing things in it. And it's not just about boobs and blood and whatever. And I'm always curious to know what was it like for you, like in high school or whatever, like be, you know. Before, what I found out with the show is that people, so many people, were so happy to find it because, like, it's so great to find this. Because I don't have any gay friends who like horror either, and all of a sudden it was like this weird second closet that people were coming out of.
1: Oh oh my god, yeah. Yeah. You finally made me proud of
0: what I am. I'm like what?
1: I'm just I'm just yapping. What are you talking about? But I I will say this, out here in Los Angeles, West Hollywood is nothing but a huge horror community of gay people. Um, everybody loves horror out here, and it's, it's a huge community out here, and it's so nice to be a part of it and feel welcomed. Um, not that New York didn't, but New York has a smaller kind of community of horror fans that are out there. This, yep. Over here, honestly, it's very big. And uh, Halloween is like Christmas out here. And then Christmas is kind of quiet, which is why I come back to New York. But to go back to what you were saying, for me growing up, um, you know, I come from a very Italian Catholic household. My dad was a police officer. My mom was a hairdresser. Uh-huh. I don't know where the hell I come from. And, you know, my my I, my perception of horror was uh, – was, you know, basically the stereotypes. Everybody talked about Judy Garland and Barbara Streisand, and I'm being quite honest, I didn't quite understand it. I didn't understand it, so therefore I didn't understand myself. But for some reason, I always connected to Carrie, and I connected to Jason, and I connected to, you know, these misfits, I guess, of the horror uh, movies. And then you had Fangoria, which was basically my kind of Bible um, that allowed me to kind of, Feel, be who I was in a horror sense, as a, as somebody of the arts and filmmaking, and then probably the best thing that happened for me was when Clive Barker announced that he was gay, and they announced it in Fangoria magazine, and I remember crying because I was like, Oh my God, I'm not, I'm not the only one. It's Clive, Clive, who is a hero, Clive, who's made Pinhead and wrote these books of Bloods and stuff. He's gay just like me. And that helped so much, yeah. so much. I can't begin to tell you how much that helped me. Wow. And then when I when I began to make my, you know, and in high school, it was, I was very hush-hush because I went to a Catholic all-boys school and I had really great oh friends, but I knew there was Bard. something Bard. odd about, Yes. Yeah. Hold on, <laughs> Bart,
0: where did you go to all-boys Catholic high school?
1: I went to a really great school, too, Monsignor McClancy High School in East Elmhurst, Queens. Oh, sure.
0: I remember we used to run track against you guys. I went to Chaminade. (laughs) Oh, did you really? Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. And it's all true, Chaminade boys. Take bubble baths together. Together. It's all true. It's
1: all true. (laughs) (laughs) i would have to see... Oh, no, see, McClancy was you never mess with the McClancy boys because we'd be, just beat the shit out of everybody. Well, of we weren't Queens. the Malloy no, boys. Queens.
0: We were just Nassau. So, you know, we were Long Island boys. It was different. What do we have? Debbie Gibson. Nothing, nothing. We give Queens. Oh,
1: my God. Queens boys will fuck you up. Like, <laughs> no. <laughs> no, we were total Queens boys. No matter how gay I was, I was a total Queens Italian boy. And I still am out here, which is kind of funny. Uh, but, you know, then, um, then as I started getting making into then as as i started getting into making films particularly as a cinematographer i met alan Mm rokelly and then that kind of just opened up the doors and alan you know and i've been been best friends i mean best friends for like the past uh 13 years now and you know you can't have a better a producing partner a better friend than than alan rokelly because he understands the work and the respect that it goes in and so do i and to be a part of that community was so opening and felt really good for me and i was just like oh my god i finally i felt like i finally belonged somewhere
0: yeah i get that that's amazing that's an amazing story i love that i loved all that stuff about clive i've forgotten about that what it was like when he came out
1: i mean i mean and then to and then then to have clive put his name on my film and the first yes. question he asked was one of the first questions he asked me was he goes hey Barney and and i'm not going to imitate him but he's you know he's Clark has that great British raspy voice. And he yeah. goes, uh, are you out of the closet yet? And I'm just like, oh, yeah. And he goes, well, if you are. And he goes, this movie certainly has pushed you out of it. <laughs> uh, I have looked for so, that movie
0: for so long,
1: uh, Mr. Bard.
0: I think it's on Amazon. It should be on Amazon. Uh, I just, I just double-checked right now, and it says that it doesn't fit their standards or something? Hold on. Amazon? Oh, my God, that's crazy. Uh huh. I hope. Well, I know that. Uh, is there penis in it?
1: Uh there's no penis. Because oh, I know they pulled, little, they pulled
0: a lot of films that had nothing wrong with them except full frontal nudity on
1: men. No, mine – I know. I, I n- n- definitely no full frontal in vindication. Well, they're want to watch it. I'm no, just it. kidding.
0: I'm just kidding. Okay. <laughs> okay. Uh la, la la la. Fix it in post. This title is currently unavailable. Our agreements with the content provider do not allow purchases of this title at this time.
1: Oh my God! All right, I'll find one for you. Thank you. Thank you. I wasn't begging for one,
0: <laughs> but but since we're talking about it, no. what is vindication about?
1: So vindication is a feature film. So basically, what I did was I took the whole coming out of the closet process for for somebody basically me. And I spun it rather than him being gay. He's nothing more than a serial killer he's okay. a psychopath. And um, so basically he comes, he, he, re, he represses it as much as he can. And then he decides to attempt suicide, which he is unsuccessful. That unleashes his unconscious. That takes, that is personified uh, in in a form. Uh, and he then goes on this journey of self-acceptance. And except it's a horror movie, it is a very mean-spirited movie. Uh, there's not, an, there's really not a lot of comedy in it at all.
0: I figured if Clyde put his name on it, he's not known for for, for pulling punches. So yeah,
1: yeah. You know, so he really did like. Uh, he really like. I mean, when Clyde starts doing quotes of your movie on the phone with you, you know you've done something right. Nice. And. Then, you know, the kid just accepts who he is and that he is a serial killer. And once he accepts it and he starts murdering, he feels better. And I put elements of Carrie in there, Friday the 13th, you know, Mrs. Voorhees, um, a lot of Shakespeare, a lot of Dante's Inferno, lots of classic literature, like I derived from and put it in there. Excellent. That sounds And amazing. again, a very emotional, horrific, but sad ending.
0: Okay. Okay. My favorite kind. Yeah. (laughs) I always say, leave me me with the oogie boogies like two days later. Like when I'm going to sleep, I'll start thinking about the movie rather than forgetting about it by the time I finish my popcorn. (laughs) Always give me that. It's fantastic. So
1: are you working on anything now? Uh, Right. What am I working on now? Yeah. Uh, I've been doing actually. Uh, I teach a lot here in the New York Film Academy in Los Angeles, so I've got some really great classes all the time with cinematography. So I'm either on the Universal backlot working or I'm on sound stages working. So I'm actually having a really good fun time. I'm one of these people that wakes up and is just like, "Oh, this is fun." Uh, and then other than that, I've been doing a lot of photography. So I've been doing much more yes. fine art portraits. Oh yes, uh, so my guests. Been... <laughs> oh, yes, <laughs> you have. <laughs> so, uh thank you uh so that's been moving off uh so that's been moving in quite a nice direction that i didn't expect so i got this really nice photography business that's been kind of taking off here in los angeles and my focus has been kind of on that uh i would love to get into another film if you know fortune decides to lay its you know um finances on me uh but we'll see as time goes i do know that like you know, Michael Verratti, Alan Rochelle and I, we would love to make a Tales of Poe too. We actually have the script for it. There was plenty um, of material. We, oh yeah. we—we we, The three of us already have three stories set and we'd like to bring in other directors like Mark Bessinger also, because he, he's oh, another sorry. wonderful filmmaker, Mark. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, so that, that's a possible opening, uh, within maybe the next two years. Uh, but we'll see where it goes. Uh, it's nice that people want, another one from us. So I'm more inclined to say, Hey, yes, uh, I would love to do that. Excellent. That would be fantastic.
0: No, I would, I mean- and somewhere in there, I try and
1: sleep. <laughs> sleep is for wimps. <laughs> oh my God. Some days you're just like, all right, I know I have to get this done, but I need some sleep in order to get it done. Oh, I, yes, I know. I know. I know. Um, I just wanted to say,
0: That photo that came out a couple of weeks ago with a redhead. Oh, my God.
1: (laughs) And, And your birthday photo in the bathtub was amazing. <laughs> oh my god. Reed is great. Reed's a, great, a really wonderful actor out here in LA and we were just doing headshots and he was just like that hey, was more you know, than head. <laughs> Yeah, that was much more than a headshot. Uh and he was just like he's like, get in the tub, Reed, take your shirt off. He was like, All right, no problem. And he was really cool about it. Um and then the the, the one in the bathtub I just could not help myself. It was just too funny.
0: And I'm blanking who was in the
1: tub with you? Uh, wait, which uh, so I was in the tub with my camera, and I think I was flicking the the, the lens in and out. But if there was that other shot of in the bathtub, um, there was a few that I shot. One was my friend Beth. Who Adrian King's actually in that photo. With That's it was who, well, of course, Sunday. it's
0: Adrian King. But I remember looking at it, going, "There's something so Edward Gorey about this. I
1: love it." <laughs> <laughs> that was such a, my friend, Beth Wernick, who's a music producer and Paul Antonelli, who is the music composer for the young and the restless and Adrian, uh, we were able to get to all together and do this beautiful photo shoot for Beth's uh, 66th birthday. Um, and I said, I want to, I, I, you know, I had a scout for a location and I found it at FD photo studios here in Los Angeles. And my friend, Joey, Joey James, who's a photographer, he recommended the place. And I found that studio. And it just by, You know, again, scheduling, everybody's schedules worked out. And Adrian and Paul were all able to come in. And I was just like, okay, here's what we're going to do. And then that was basically the photo, that Sunday photo. We call it, uh, Beth named it. She called it Sunday. It's like the day after Saturday. Ah, Nice.
0: Okay, Bart, this has been a lovely chat. Thank you, Patrick. This is great. I'm guessing that that throat that Alan slitting is like really thick or he has a butter knife or something.
1: You know, Alan, he gets into those jobs and he just doesn't stop. <laughs> well, it's got to be
0: perfect. You know, he can't just slit a throat any old way. It's got to be the Alan Roe Kelly way or the highway. <laughs> Which means it's
1: going to be the best way.
0: Exactly. And the most fabulous and the most fashionable. I'm like He really slit that throat with 1940s Hollywood glamour. I don't know how he did that. <laughs> I've never seen anything like it. <laughs>
1: I mean, you know, he puts so much work into his – he puts so much quality again into his work, and that's why he keeps getting the work, which is great.
0: I know I just said I was wrapping this up, but since we're on, Alan, I need – I I already told the story on the regular podcast, but I need to tell it to you as well because I know you haven't listened yet. The first introduction I had to Alan, I was at a horror convention in Indianapolis, and they were screening Spectre. And wait, which one? Sculpture.
1: Oh, okay. Oh, sculpture. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yes. Yeah. This
0: was a long time ago. And it was before the con- uh, convention. You know, they announced what they were screening. I was looking up the trailers and I watched the trailers. I'm like, oh, that's a man in drag. That's going to be a really camp funny role. And then I went to see the movie. I'm going, this isn't camp or funny. And the guy's name is Robert. And nobody is addressing the fact that it's a man in a dress. This is cool. It's
1: it just, it's just Robert, and that's just Alan. Alan is Alan, and you know, exactly. I you know, and that's who he is, and that, and it's, and there's no else way to describe that. No, there's
0: not, and it's just this wonderful, warm, incredibly warm, funny person, and 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 and, and it's just that's him. And you either yes, deal yeah, with it, absolutely. You either deal with it, or you can keep moving. Because I know some people are just like, what was that about? What was that about? I'm like, it, it was just a person. It's just that who that person is. Robert is a guy who like wears they, a dress, and everybody is cool with that. Why aren't you cool with that? Everybody's cool with it.
1: Like and it's by the, the problem way, is,
0: and fabulous in it. <laughs> <laughs>
1: And that's what I was going to say is that he looks fantastic in everything that he, you know, does. Did you see? If you go on Facebook, look at this photo from last night. He was at a premiere last night on the red carpet with a friend of his. Saw his. And I saw that. he looks fantastic. I ran
0: into him on the street a couple of weeks ago. Um, um, actually, uh, oh Desiree, what's her name? Uh, the, the Sleepaway Camp actress. Desiree-, Desiree Gould. Thank you. They were doing screening at the Rock Bar. And, you know, you know, I know Brian Norton and Joe Zazzo, So I was like, okay, I'll go to that. I got there and was so exhausted I couldn't even move. So I just was kind of limping up Christopher Street back to the, back to the subway, and it was cold and it was windy. And all of a sudden, I just heard Patrick and it's Alan, just like, "Ping!" Just stepped out of makeup, makeup and wardrobe and hair, and just like looking stunning. I'm like, "How are you looking stunning in this wind? How are you looking?" Like so happy to see me, and was so sad that I was limping home. And I was like, "I," it, but it, it, that, just that little encounter made the trip home so much less painful. Oh, that's 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 a great story. I mean he's going to love that when he hears this. Oh, I already told him.
1: I already oh, told him. I said, I'm so "Sorry I
0: couldn't <laughs> come hang out with you, but I was dying and you just lit up my night."
1: <laughs> we were just speaking yesterday actually. We talk like uh, oh my god, like three times a week, four times a week. We'll text each other just like random photos just to make each other laugh. <laughs>
0: That's a good thing. That's a good good friend to have. It's a good friend. Okay, Bart, I need to get back to work here. This has been fantastic. Thank you so much. You are welcome back on the show anytime to just bullshit because this was incredibly entertaining.
1: Oh my pleasure, Pat. This was great. I, I love how it was just a great conversation, and uh, I didn't—you never know what the hell you're going to expect—but this was cool, so cool, very nice. Thank you. Yeah, that's
0: this is why I do casual chats. I don't like interviews. It's always the same questions. It's like you said about like it'll just be about what you're doing next, what's going on. I just want to see—I like to see where things go, and I liked everywhere where this went.
1: Thank you, I appreciate it, and so did I. Okay, have
0: an excellent rest of your Sunday, and oh, oh my god, thank you, sir. Oh my god, fuck. Jesus. What? Fuck, Bart, I almost forgot. Yes, (laughs) go ahead. This is really fucking important. Oh, my God.
1: Okay. Happy Halloween! That's it. (laughs) Happy Halloween, sir. We've got that coming up on, uh, what is it, Wednesday? Wednesday. Wednesday is Halloween. Uh, Yes, I'm well aware of that. (laughs) And we're out. (laughs)
0: Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful Screamers is going to wrap things up for another episode. Goodbye, episode 249. Hello, 250 coming down the pike. But before we leave, I want to say a huge and hearty thank you to Bart Nardy for hanging out with me on a what was an incredibly gross and painful Sunday evening. It was very cool for you to take time out of your busy schedule. And I had a great time because I don't know if I mentioned this before. I was terrified of Bart the few times I met him because as he mentioned you know he's very Queens he's like and he said Queens guys don't take no shit he reminds me so much of the guys who used to terrorize me in high school that I was afraid of him so I would have a couple of words with him and then like skitter away so it was nice to sit down and have a human conversation like normal human beings thank you Bart you made my day And so go find out about him. Go look up Bart Masternardi Photography as well. He does beautiful, beautiful work with beautiful, beautiful models. And I don't have any voicemail right now because I'm having trouble with the Google Voice account that handles the voicemails. I see they're in there, but I can't access them. I'm hoping to have that fixed by the next episode. But that's a low-priority thing right now. I can see the – The uh, speech-to-text transcription, so I see it's nothing super, like, timely. So we can wait till next time. So if you guys called in and you're going, where's my call? I will get to you next time. It is out of my technical hands right now. But I did get an email that I would like to read to you because it showed up in my inbox, and I lost my goddamn mind because it is from Morris Devereux. Morris Devereaux is the writer-director of End of the Line, which we covered in the Potathon, and he's also the writer-director of Slashers. So two movies that have had an incredible impact on me in completely different ways. This guy wrote me. He listened to the show and he wrote me. So shout out Patrick. Why don't you tell us what he said? Okay, why don't I do that right now? Okay, it says, hello Patrick, I hope you're feeling better after your long podcasting session. I really enjoyed your show. Thank you for the kind words about my film, End of the Line. It's very appreciated. I made it to the end and just wanted to say, losing your family because of their prejudices is sad. But I think you know, if you had lost yourself by not being who you truly are, that would have been worse. Kindest regards, cheers, Mars Devereaux. I completely geeked out. I was hopping up and down and clapping my little monkey hands like Mr. Brad does. And I was just like, Ooh! I was, it was, it was, it, I, I fell out. I fell out. And it meant a lot. And also one of those things that came at just the right time. I was getting kind of the Thanksgiving, pre Thanksgiving blues going. gonna oh, anybody, anybody. And he's absolutely right. He's absolutely right because nothing has improved there and it's not going to. And, yeah, what good is it to go have Thanksgiving with people who you know are going to make you miserable and unhappy and feel, make you feel bad about yourself? What's the point in that? There isn't one. But I wrote him back, and I just said, Morris, please, yeah, blah, blah, blah. This is the whole thing about my slow response because I can't do anything timely right now. But I just said, uh, I'm back in the swing of things again, and it's long overdue for me to say thank you to you. I feel no regret about having to walk away from my family. It's not the first time I've had to do it, but it's definitely the last. I've forgiven them their prejudices in the past, but it's different this time. And sadly, the old saying is true, a leopard can't change its spots. Fortunately, I have a lovely little chosen family, and out of the wreckage that is my biological family, there is one new niece who doesn't share their views. She and her husband have been a constant source of sanity through this utterly bizarre time. Now on to you, sir. Morris Devereaux, you have no idea how absurdly happy I was to discover that End of the Line and Slashers were made by the same person. I adore both of these movies in entirely different ways, and by far the episode where I covered Slashers is my highest rated and most downloaded episode. And that is true by a long shot. When I met the guest hosts, I had on for that show talking about Allison and Brian. Hey, girl. Hey, girl. You might think I just said Alice, said hi to Allison twice, but I didn't. Brian knows why. This isn't in the letter. But <laughs> when I met Allison and Brian, the guest those I had on for that first time in person in Las Vegas this past April, I even had shirts made up for us with Miho, Chainsaw Charlie, and Dr. Ripper on them. That's how much Slasher has, has become to us. In fact, every time I've had those particular guests back on the show since that episode, the conversation always winds up on a Slasher-related tangent. Between that and the much needed emotional catharsis that End of the Line had on me this time watching it this time around, your work has left quite the imprint on me. Thank you for the campy joy of slashers and the unflinching brutality of End of the Line. Both something both provided something I didn't know I needed at exactly the right time I needed it, and I don't have the words to express the gratitude I have for that. Thank you for reaching out. It completely blew my mind to find you in my inbox. But this is just everything me just saying that. I just said that I geeked out. He just wrote back again, just said that. uh, Thank you again for the kind words, Patrick. In this world filled with too much anonymous trolling cruelty, it's always good to know that there are still complete strangers that offer kindness and support. Wishing you all the best in all of your creepy ventures. Morris Deverup. So that's another person from the Potathon who has reached out to me. And as soon as I finish recording this particular segment, I am going to ask Mr. Devereux if he would like to sit down for an informal chat with me later on. Look at me. Look how brave I'm getting. Isn't it crazy? It's crazy. So, hey, Patrick, didn't you say that there was a major announcement that you were going to make regarding Patreon? Yes. Yes, starting in January, there's going to be a whole new perk starting at the $10 level. For $10 a month, you get all the perks of the tiers below you, meaning a video newsletter once a month, which I swear to God I'm going to start doing again this year. I swear to God, guys. I swear to God. I'm going to do it this Sunday. I swear to God. Also, two episodes a month, uh, two bonus episodes a month, one covering whatever might be in the movie theater at this time and the other – will be either a crapshoot or a Nightmare Closet episode. Those will only be airing at Patreon. But now, if you donate just a little bit more every month, you're going to get Trey Dean. You know Trey Dean. He was on Evil Under the Sun, and he was on Death of the Nile. He came back for house. He... Most recently on the Wallace and Gromit Curse of the Were Rabbit episode, but he and I are going to be sitting down to talk about Friday the 13th, the series Spectacular! We're going to have a spectacular once a month because there's not a Friday the 13th on the calendar for God knows how long, and I can't live without spectacular of some sort in my life. We're going to be going through Friday the 13th, the series, one by one by one by one, which means we're probably just going to be talking about Roby's hair for 75 minutes and then five minutes on the episode. But that's neither here nor there. That is a perk just for the people at the $10 or more level. Ain't that cool? I think it's cool and that's going to be starting in January. And this just in this is Patrick from the Future breaking in on his own recording. I have just signed Maya Murphy from the Teenagers from Outer Space episode Maya Murphy from from the DC shows. Just, she's got well, I'm very excited. She's going to be joining us as well. She's going to be a co-host on The Friday the 13th series on Patreon only. Yes. I'm excited! She's so funny! She knows science! She's going to rip this show to shreds, and we're going to have fun doing it, but only on Patreon! So if you would like all these cool bonus perks, and to find out what other perks are available as well, and help support the show in this particular way, then you need to get your butt on over to www.patreon.com slash queens. All that information is going to be there, and just just, just, just check it out. Think about it, because you don't want to miss out. No-mo, homo, FOMO for you. So, if you'd like to get in contact with the show, because, actually, I have one more thing for you, because the next episode, I'm leaving up to you. I'm breaking one of my own rules. I'm going to actually do some holiday-based horror at the holiday time this year, but what? Holiday movie am I going to pick? I don't know. I don't know because I'm leaving it up to a vote. Yeah. Yeah. It's either going to be Silent Night, Deadly Night, the Santa Slasher from the 80s, To All a Good Night, the other Santa Slasher from the 80s, Night of the Comet, or Krampus. You tell me you could do that or, or pass on any information you'd like to pass on to me by picking up the phone and calling 917-720-2047. Or you can write me at crew at screamqueens.com. And, of course, that's Queens with a Z. You can find me on Facebook by doing a search on Scream Queens, where horror gets gay. I'm on Twitter at Scream Queens and on Instagram at Scream Queens Podcast. And if you can't find me now, I can't help you. I just told you how to find me. So find me. I'm lost in the woods, so just find me. I would if you stopped singing. You know what? I think I will. So until next time, my beautiful, beautiful screamers, continue. To make the world a creepier place. And never, ever forget the Scream Queen's golden rule fight or flight, survive the night, make it to the final real baby. Because you gotta find out what we're gonna say about Roby's hair. Girl! <coughs>